Hey, this is Pastor Ricky Ortiz at MetaChurch, and I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcast and supporting our ministry. If you'd like to learn more about MetaChurch, you can visit us online at meta.church, and we're praying this message inspires you and encourages you to pursue your relationship with Jesus. Okay, today is an exciting day for me. It's an exciting day for our church, I believe. Uh, it's an exciting day for where we're headed. And I, I've got to say, like, you know, I don't know how often 2020, like the year happens, uh, probably like once, um, but like every church in America started off this year with some sort of series uh, kind of playing on this, you know, 2020 vision, uh, seeing 2020, you know, like this isn't like really creative. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime, like once in the history of humanity opportunity uh, to use this type of series. And so we're doing the same thing. And I'm super excited to, to jump into it. But it's, it's an exciting day because we get to talk about where we're headed as a church. I get to share with you uh, some of the things that, that Chris and I and, uh, have been praying into and, and discussing, not just at the start of this year, but kind of as the last quarter of 2019 closed out. And we are preparing and believing for what's to come ahead. And so I'm excited about that. But I also realize that as we share vision, like it's not just something to be excited about. It's something that we really need to like, you know, really think through. We don't just kind of speak something or just say it just to say it because vision and having a sense of where you're going is so important. In fact, look at how um, this is written in Proverbs 29, 18. It's the message paraphrase. And it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So think about that for a second. Again, this is just a paraphrase, okay? So he's, the writer is paraphrasing what the scripture says, and it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Think about your own lives. Think about when you've been frustrated because things aren't going to plan, when things haven't turned out the way you wanted, when the job or the relationship or the situation that you were praying for didn't get worked out, when things didn't turn um, the way you expected or maybe hoped for. And in the midst of all of that, you're like, God, what are you doing? I can't figure it out. I can't make sense of it. And then next thing you know, in the course of your life or the course of a series of decisions, maybe you find yourself doing things or responding in ways that you wouldn't have expected or that you don't feel very proud of, but all of it was triggered because you couldn't really see what God was doing at that moment or at that time in your life. Does that make sense? In fact, what's interesting about this is that other translations, the King James says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And, and then other translations will take that word vision and translate it as where there is no direct revelation from God. You see, this idea of vision isn't just about, hey, this is what I think is good. This is what Krista likes. This is what we want to do. Vision is something that really is necessary that we have to hear and receive from God if we don't want to be a people who stumble all over ourselves. And, and, and vision is an important thing. And I'll use an example from like our physical world, right? Like our literal world, like, you know, eyeballs, you know, my daughter Gia is eight years old, and, and some of you noticed about a month and a half ago, two months ago, uh, she started wearing eyeglasses, which is kind of a funny thing in and of itself, right? Like, what type of glasses would you wear if they weren't eyeglasses? Uh, like, why, why put the word eye in front of glasses that are glasses? You know, you just wear them. So she started wearing glasses back at the start of December, but the reason she started wearing glasses was because we took her for her, you know, annual appointment or whatever, like with her pediatrician. And so they did the eyeball test thing where you got to like check these letters. And, you know, she apparently did not do a good job. And so the doctor said, you know, kindly, hey, you know, you should probably go see like, you know, an eye doctor, you know, to maybe just kind of double check that my results are accurate. Uh, and so Krista, my wife, scheduled an appointment for Gia, our daughter. And she went to the eye doctor and basically come to find out, 
she's blind essentially. And, and so, and like, she's probably been blind for most of her life. And we, as parents weren't aware or fully understanding of that or, or whatever, like literally the doctor's like, yeah, like, you know, when she gets these glasses, it's going to be like, you know, she knew about trees, but now she's going to know they have leaves. And like, and I was like, oh gosh, like that's really bad. And so um, we went and, you know, got her glasses from like Warby, Warby Parker or whatever, um, got a couple pair of glasses. And like, even there, they're like, yeah, this is going to be a game changer for her. And I was like, well, could you shame us anymore? Please just throw it on, like pile on on us. You know, tell me how bad of a dad I've been. Tell me how bad of a mom she's been. And so my, my daughter put on these glasses, literally like her eyes, like her world literally like opened up all because of glasses, all because her vision was adjusted, all because her vision was corrected. Now, she's not the most graceful, so she tends to fall and bump into things a lot, but I will say over the last eight weeks, she's bumped into things a lot less frequently. (laughs) And that's what happens when your vision is adjusted, when your vision is corrected, you don't stumble over yourself anymore. And, And I think in life, it's true, just like it is with our eyes, that our vision matters. Our vision changes how we experience things. Our vision helps us as we navigate through the seasons and the circumstances of life. And that's not just true personally, but that's true for us as a church, as a community, as a group. And and vision in life, if, if vision with our eyes is adjusted or corrected through lenses, whether they be glasses or whether they be contacts, um, if, if vision in, in our eyes are adjusted with those kind of lenses, then the lenses for, for vision in our lives are both perspective and direction. Perspective and direction. And so what I want to talk about today are these two things. I want to talk about these two teetering things because from these two things, we get a sense of the vision that God has for us. When we can take things into perspective and when we can account and fit them into the direction he's calling us into, we can see not just where we're headed, but we can see more importantly, where God is leading us. And when we rally around where God is leading us, we thrive, we prosper, we move forward, we grow, we strengthen, and we experience the fruitfulness that God has always intended for his people, not just meta church, but God's people, you, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, that's who he intends for us, and that's who he intends to be fruitful, and he's always intended for that to be the case. But sometimes if our vision is altered or negatively affected, it's hard for us to experience the very things that God intended for us to experience. So I want to talk about these things, and I'll begin with this first idea of perspective. And simply put, to me, when I talk about perspective, it's the ability to take into account what has happened and contextualize them to where you are at the moment or where you're headed in the future. Does that make sense? You want to look back over your experiences. You want to look back over what's taken place and then contextualize them for where you are now in this present moment. Now, perspective is a huge thing in adjusting our vision. It's why we say this phrase, right? Hindsight is 2020. What we're saying is that by looking back, it's actually given us greater clarity. It's given us greater color and it's given us greater understanding to what's taking place or why we are or why we're, you know, we're here in this moment. And perspective for us is is really kind of a significant thing because I think, you know, when we talk about our church and where we're headed, I could jump into, hey, this is what God has said, or this is what God has spoken, or this is where I believe we're supposed to go, or the next step that we're supposed to take as a church. And I could share any and all of those things with you. But if we don't take into account where we've been, it's hard for us to, it's going to be hard for us to understand where God is leading us and where God wants to take us. 
Or if we miss out on where we've been, then we'll miss out on what God has done. And when we get to where we need to be, we'll question and doubt and wonder and struggle to believe that God will meet us there as well. And so I want to kind of take the first part of this to just talk a little bit about what's taken place over the last year or two. And I'll share kind of a couple quick things uh, to help kind of maybe paint a broad picture and then zoom in a little bit to kind of give a more nuanced story of what's taken place, okay? And so when we talk about perspective, I want to, you know, kind of just begin with a few things, starting with like 2019 versus 2018. And for those of you who are new, whether you're, this is like your, your first week here, or you came last week, or you came like last year, um, this I think will help kind of help you understand what's happening because we started in this space two years ago at the start of 2018. And at the start of 2018, or I should say over the whole of 2018, for the calendar year, we had like 801 people come to a MetaChurch service. And so in 2018, like total counting every Sunday of the year, if you're really good at math, then you would know that the number that that equates to is about 16 people per week. If you're not good at math, I just hooked you up. Okay. So 2018, like it was just a small team of us. It was just a small core of us. And then 2019, like our total attendance for the, for the Sundays throughout the year, jumped up to 1,737 people. And so over double, again, if you're not good at math, I'll hook you up, don't worry, but like over doubling. Okay, now to kind of put this in a, in a more nuanced setting, you know, 801, that counted adults and kids, but of this figure, like 107 were kids. Whereas in 2019, that number jumped to about 340. So our kids ministry has seen an incredible level of growth as our regular Sunday, because it went from 16 to 35 on, on a week to week basis. Like this core group of people expanding to a broader community, still core, but a broader community of people where sometimes even on a Sunday in a small church of 35 people can still feel like, oh, I didn't get to catch up with so-and-so the way I wanted to or the way I had hoped to because things changed and things shifted, but it wasn't just our attendance. Like if you look at like how people contributed in generosity, like the level of generosity through the church is just startling. Because in 2018, we had $114,000 or $14,076 given to Meta Church. And then last year, that number spiked almost doubled to $207,051 given. And again, you can say, okay, well, what's the numbers? What does that mean? Here's what this communicates is that people aren't just showing up to be here. People are investing and saying, I believe in what's happening here. And I'm committed to financially investing and supporting this thing because I believe not just in the church mission. I, not, I believe not just in like the cool gathering, but I believe in the potential that Meta Church represents for this neighborhood, for this city and for the world. And so I will put my money behind it. Not because someone made me, not because someone twisted my arm, not because someone forced me into it or guilted me into it, but because I see how God is at work and I'm committed to being a part of making this thing happen. And then you go beyond the generosity side of it and you look at serving, you look at you know, how people were involved. In 2018, we had a total number of 301 people, 301 adults serving and volunteering. And then that number spiked in 2019 to 699 people. Now, again, this may not seem like, you know, on the surface, it's just a number, but what we have to remember is that every number represents a person, and every person represents a story, represents transformation, represents change, represents what God is doing in their lives. So when you take this number and you kind of look at the whole of like our Sunday attendance, okay, this number represents 50, is over 50% of our adult Sunday attendance, which means basically half of you serve this week and the next half of you are going to serve next week. 
I mean, that's literally how this church happens. It's because they're a group of volunteers who are committed every single week. Hey, you take off next week. I got you. And then next week, the other group of volunteers say, okay, you take off the following week. I got you. And literally, it's like this alternating thing where like our group or our people are so committed to making this happen. And, and what's exciting about this is because this is kind of like the numbers and, 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 you know, numbers, you have that phrase like numbers don't lie, right? But numbers actually don't tell the whole story. Numbers can lie, especially if you're really good at them. But, but numbers don't tell the whole story. That's the bigger point here. Because the story of Meta Church is not a story about numbers. There are other churches, there are other communities with, quote, better numbers, the story of MetaChurch is a story about change. The story of MetaChurch is a story about transformation. The story of MetaChurch is a church uh, is a story in which people are saying, hey, I want to be involved, not because someone made me, but because I feel God moving and connecting and changing who I become when I'm involved with this group of people, with this community, with this church, and in this way. And then 2019 for us was a year of foundations. 2019 for us as a church was a year where we told our team, if you were a part of it in 2018, you said, hey, this is going to be kind of like our quote unquote practice where we're deepening our roots, we're strengthening our teams, we're building our community, and we're kind of laying the pillars and the groundwork for who we become because this is critical. Yes, these numbers matter, but listen, we've got to deepen and strengthen because we're going to be in this for the long run. We're not interested in kind of like a flash in the pan, looks good on Instagram, and then three years from now, what happened? We're here for the next 10, 20, 30 plus years. And so we're building with that in mind. And so 2019 was a crucial year for us as a church because we felt like my wife and I, Chris and I felt like as leaders, we want to deepen the relationships, not just with one another, but people's relationships with Christ, with people's relationships with Jesus. We want to help people live with great faith. We want to help people hear the voice of God in their lives. We want to help people know where God is leading them. And it's not because I manipulated them into going there. And so 2019 was that year for us. It was that year of deepening. It was that year of strengthening. And it was a year of kind of forging a path, pioneering a way. Because listen, in years to come, people will follow the path that we've created. And so 2019 was our way of kind of moving stuff out of the way, creating a clear and distinguished path so that when people come, they can say, I know the way forward. I may not have vision just yet, but I know if I follow on this path, I know God will lead me to the place where I'm supposed to be. I know God will take me exactly where I'm supposed to be, and I'll arrive there when I need to, not when I'm told I should have been there. And so 2019 was that for us. And, and, and the funny thing is that all of this, establishing this foundation, kind of building this, this um, you know, from the ground up and, and, and solidifying the base, actually was something that I was reminded of a few months ago, reading an article about the new one Vanderbilt Tower on 42nd Street. And so I'll show you a picture of this. It's this tower here. You may not see it, like, or you may not recognize it, but like Grand Central Terminal is just down here. So if you walk on 42nd Street, there's you know, that new construction that's going up. And if you've missed it, um, like get glasses. <laughs> Um, but like, it's this huge building. It's like the entire block. And it's a, so essentially a, it's a half city block. It's on, um, 42nd street between, uh, 3rd Avenue and Vanderbilt Avenue. And then between 42nd and 43rd. And it's this huge thing. But, but the reason what reminded me of this is because a few months ago, I was reading an article about this and the whole story of this is fascinating. So I'll give you a kind of a brief history. And if you don't walk away with anything about Jesus, you will walk away with the timeline of how this building came to be. And so here, here's what happened. This building is set to open in August, September of this year, 2020. 
But the developers of this building started acquiring properties on that block as early as 2001 and 2002. One by one, they had to try to accrue and acquire these, these individual buildings that occupied the territory where this building is now being set. And so 2001, 2002, the developers started kind of negotiating, bidding on, acquiring, and it took all the way till 2012 before they had acquired all of the properties on that block. 10 years to acquire everything they needed. And then in 2014 was when they first submitted their proposal to the city about the building, about the construction plans, about how this edifice would actually not just be a pretty thing in the sky, but actually improve the quality of life for the people on the ground via transportation mechanisms and different things that they would implement so that people could better experience New York City. So they submitted those proposals in 2014. The fall of 2015 is when they were able to start demolishing and tearing down all the existing structures on that piece of property. About a year later, October 2016, is when they had their kind of ribbon cutting ceremony to break ground and actually begin construction. February 2017 is when the building actually started having the foundations being laid and prepared. And then it went from February 2017 to kind of the fall of 2017, when the building, like, you know when you walk through the street and you have those green, like, wood panels, and they have, like, that little, like, quote, glass that's, like, foggy, like, plastic that you can't really see through, but everyone's peeking, like, what's going on in there? Like, that existed, still existed to, to a degree, but that existed without anyone seeing what's happening, without anyone knowing what's going on. And then in the fall of 2017, the building kind of started to surface just above ground. And then a year later... September of 2019, or excuse me, a couple years later, September of 2019, the structure, 107 stories, have been completely finished. And then now, a year post-2019, September 2020, is when the building will be open and accessible. But do you realize it's taken 20 years, nearly 20 years, for this thing to open, to get started? But it will last for generations. It will stand for our children, their children, and the children after them. It'll be something that people will experience. It'll be something that people will enjoy. In fact, at the moment, it's currently slated to have the tallest outdoor visible you know, viewing deck in the Western Hemisphere. And so this building has been constructed with the idea that it would help how people get around from place to place by improvements made to the public transportation system. They've even constructed the lower floor so that different views of Grand Central could still be appreciated without having a big glass cinder block blocking your perspective. And they've done this because they recognize that something for years to come will be appreciated, will be marveled at, will be cherished, will be enjoyed. And we've done the exact same thing with MetaChurch. You see, the first three years of our existence has been about solidifying our foundation, building something. But it didn't just start three years ago. It started decades ago. It started when I was a 15-year-old kid and God said, Ricky, I'm calling you into vocational ministry. And then as a college freshman, he said, Ricky, I'm calling you back to New York to start a church one day in August of 2004, 15 years ago. And he said, this is where I'm leading you. This is where I'm taking you. And he crossed my path with my wife. And here's the funny thing. I can tell my story, but I'm curious to know what was God doing in your life 15 years ago? What relationships was he connecting? What opportunities was he providing? What bridges was he building so that one day, somehow, some way, you would be here for this moment today? 
What was it that God was doing in your life? Some of you are babies. You were probably like in kindergarten 15 years ago. Like some of you might not have even been born. I don't know. But like this is the, the crazy thing is that God has been at work in and through your life for this moment, for this time. They were busy acquiring properties and God was busy acquiring resources and character and skill and talent and opportunity and jobs and relationships and networks and positioning you in such a way so that when you showed up for this moment today, God could say, I've appointed you to this and I've called you into it. And now it's time for us to kind of surface and come above the ground. And we've been literally physically, literally metaphorically operating underground for three years. And God's saying, Metachurch, it's time to rise up. It's time to surface. It's time to come above the ground. Yes, we've done a lot of incredible things. Yes, we've been involved in community service stuff. The numbers don't talk about the free haircuts that we showed or, or shared, you know, how we provided like something like 261 free haircuts for senior citizens and children. And like even like a New York State senator recently just got his haircut um, when he heard about what we're doing. And so he showed up to see a part of it. So we paid for him to get a haircut. And so all these different things that we've been a part of, the things that have been taking place in your life, that's all perspective. And that perspective helps shape the direction for where we're headed. Because where we're headed is exciting. Where we're headed is incredible. Where we're going up till now, like I said, we've operated underground, but the thing that Chris and I believe and the thing that we've sensed over the last few months is that 2020 is the year where we surface. It's the year where we pop up, not in like a braggadocious way, not in a way where we pat ourselves on the back and say, look at us, we're so cool, we're so trendy. Everyone wear the newest fashion so that we can fit in or look the best. It's not about that. It's about God elevating us because through us, he wants to elevate himself. It's not about me. It's not about Krista. It's not about any one person in this room. It's not even about a cool logo or anything like that. It's about the fact that God wants to use us and he's positioned us to step into something that's far greater and far more incredible than any of us could ever expect. And he's doing it not so that we get the glory or we get the benefit, but so that he gets the glory. And the benefit to us is not that someone recognizes us on the street as someone important, but the benefit to us is that we get to participate in the glory with God. And I was reminded of this a few months ago. I actually shared this scripture in a different sermon at the start of our Make Room series. But in 2 Kings chapter 19, a promise that God spoke to me, and literally right here in my Bible, it was a video message, so you may not have seen it, but right here in my Bible, it says this, prophetic message from Meta Church spoken to me on July 7, 2018. 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 29 says this, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Here's the proof that what I say is true. This year, you will eat only what grows up by itself. That's the first year. And then the next year, the second year, you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year, you will plant crops and you will harvest them. And you will tend vineyards and you will eat their fruit. Verse 30 says this, and you who are left in Judah, those of you, let's just say those of you who are here in New York City, who've escaped the ravages of the siege, you will put roots down in your own soil and you will grow up. What did I say we're doing? We're surfacing. We're coming above ground. We're growing up and you will flourish. Verse 31, for a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion and the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies 
will make this happen. Now I want to go back to verse 30 because it says you will grow up and you will flourish. So many of us have already begun to flourish as we started to discover and see who God is calling us to be, how God is at work in our lives, what he's doing, the transformation that has taken place. And you feel like you're a night and day different person. And again, it's not because of meta meta, it's simply the vehicle through which God wants to communicate and connect with you. And so God has used this in a way in your life to transform who you are and who you're becoming. And your friends back home, your family members, when they see you, when they talk with you, like, you're a different person. You're not the same anymore. Something's different about you. I can't figure out what, I can't figure out why, but I can sense it. You are different than the person I grew up with, or you are different than the person I used to know, or you are different than the person you were six months ago when we were roommates. Like that's what God has been doing in you. You've been growing up and you've been flourishing. And as a church, he's calling us to do the same thing. It's time to grow up and to flourish. And I will say, yes, we've flourished. Yes, we've thrived in the situation and in the context in which we've been in. But God is saying, it's time to step out, Meta Church. It's time to move forward. It's time to plant and reap and enjoy the benefits of the work that's been invested and sown into this so far. And it's time to cherish those things. And it's not because you're more special than anyone else. It's not because you're more favored than anything else. It's not because you've got it all together. It's not because you have X, Y, Z, or you don't have this, or I feel sorry for you. God said, it's simply because my passionate commitment to you is going to make this happen. You know what I know? That God is passionately committed to each and every person here today and each and every person listening online. God is deeply and passionately committed to you, more so than he is to a brand, more so than he is to a church name, more so than he is to a church body or a church group. He is committed to you. Do you realize Jesus died for you? The gospel is not Jesus died for Meta Church, for God so loved Meta Church that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would go to Meta Church would have faith and you know, be safer forever. That wasn't it. It was for you. And I've said it before and I'll continue to say it until the day I die, but if someone died for you, you don't have to question if they love you. If someone died for you, you don't have to question if they are passionately committed to you. Jesus demonstrated that he's committed to you. And here's what I believe, that if God is deeply and passionately committed to each and every one of you, and he's deeply and passionately committed to me, then us together, a group of people that God is deeply and passionately committed to, God will make them rise up. God will grow them up. God will make them flourish. God will stand with them and nothing that comes against them will stop them. Nothing that poses a threat will harm them. Nothing that dangers or sentences to impede the way or stop them can get in the way because God said, I am passionately committed to you and the Lord of heaven's armies has declared it so. This is what God has promised. Because of you. Because he loves you because he loves me, because he cares about us. And the beautiful thing about this is that in 2020, we've been invited to step into it. We've been invited to rise up to it. We've been invited to surface. And what it's going to take from all of us is simply four things. Four things. I'll share them with you. It's going to take prayer. Prayer in a lot of ways, because the vision that God has given us 
is greater than our ability or our capacity to make it happen at the moment. You see, meta is the Greek word for change, and we've said from the very beginning, our mission is simply this, to help every person in New York City experience the transformative power of Jesus. Because when people in New York City experience the change of Jesus Christ in their lives, we can change the city, and if we change the city, we change the world. And if that's going to happen, it's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of, of, of commitment to saying, God, this is what you've said. This is what you've declared. And so, God, I'm investing myself in this conversation with you. I'm investing myself in prayer. I'm deepening my commitment to you in these areas. And listen, there's a lot of specific things over the course of this year that we're going to talk about that are going to say, hey, it's going to require more or deeper commitment to prayer than we've ever had before. Yeah. And so we're going to like harp on that. And we're going to bank on that. And we've, you know, shared at the fall or at the end of last year as we prepared for our Christmas offering that we were going to take one of these steps, a huge step for us, significant step, and moving forward to look for and identify a worship leader for our church. And that the money we raised was going to go to helping, whether it's like a salary or whether it's providing, you know, some sort of like moving expenses or, or whatever. We don't know what that step is going to look like. We just knew that we needed to make room that if God was going to provide a worship leader for Meta Church, that we needed to make room financially to help accommodate what God wanted to provide. And listen, that's a great thing that we raised the money. But the thing that I would ask above all else is that we pray about this process because this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be something that just happens overnight. And we need to be diligent and aware of what God is doing and how God is working. And so we want to be sensitive to that. And I can tell you right now that both Chris and I have already started that process and a couple of conversations of like, hey, we want you to pray about this direction. We want you to pray into whether or not this is a step that God would want you to take. And so we're praying. We're asking other people to pray. And we need you to pray. Because we don't want to take it lightly. You know, it's great that we raised money, but it would be foolish if we just recklessly blew it because we lacked in prayer. It's going to take involvement, meaning on your part and my part. It's going to take us being involved in what's happening. It's going to be, you know, a deepening of our serving and our community investment and involvement in the neighborhood. You know, in a couple weeks, we talked about how we have this Night to Shine event coming up on February 7th. And that's a simple way for anyone and everyone to get involved, to make a difference right here in this neighborhood. Listen, if you've got a skill that you can leverage for someone else's benefit, then let's leverage it. Don't sit on it. That's a talent. That's a, that's a, that's a gift that God has given to you. And yes, it's great if it provides an income. But if that's all it provides, then it's a failure. And so it's going to take all of us being involved. Because if we're going to step into what God has, listen, I'm not saying that if you don't do it, we won't experience it. But man, what a shame to be standing here a year from now and say, this is everything God did. And you're sitting here saying, I wish I would have been a part of it. I wish I would have had a role in that. I wish I could have experienced it for myself. So it's going to take involvement. It's going to take invitation. Because listen, we need people involved. And so who are you going to invite to be a part of it? I'm not just talking about church on Sunday. Yes, invite people to come to Sundays. Great. That's awesome. And it's necessary. There's people in your life who are probably looking for something. There's people in your life. Listen, I look at Google search reports, and I see what people are searching, the keyword searches. I know they're searching for what we have here. I don't know who these people are just yet, but I pray for them. Say, God, if I meet them, help me invite them. But it might be an invitation to your personal life. 
It might be someone that you have a, a professional relationship with or kind of a um, semi-familiar relationship with, but the invitation may not, the first invitation may not need to be to Sunday, but the first invitation may be, hey, let's connect and hang out. I want to hear more about your story. I want to hear more about your life. But the invitation doesn't end there. Hey, let's take it another step further. Let's talk more about where you're headed. Let's talk more about what, what matters to you. Hey, let, let's have a third invitation. Hey, can I share with you like what matters to me and why it matters? And can I invite you to be a part of that? And so I don't know what the invitation needs to look like or for who it needs to look like, but all of us need to be involved in inviting people into this thing because if God is at work in your life, other people need to see it. Other people want to experience it. And it's going to happen when you invite them in them because people don't want to intrude or go into spaces they've not been invited into. And so we need to invite. And then there's opportunity. And opportunity in a broad sense is that we all have opportunities that are given to us every single day. This morning, I wept over some missed opportunities with my dad. Conversations I wish I had. You know, phone calls I wish I would have made. And as I sat in this little table at a Starbucks, I vowed to God, I said, God, Help me to take advantage and to step into every opportunity you give me this year. God, if this is what it takes so that I never hold back my words, so that I don't sit on that phone call, so that I don't miss out on that conversation, then like sear it into my heart. Because there's some opportunities, God, that I've missed in the past, but man, I know I'll miss some in the future, but I don't want to deliberately miss out on the opportunities that are before me. And I think as we step into this, if you want to have direction, if you want to have vision for 2020, there are going to be some opportunities that present themselves to you both at Meta Church and around Meta Church, but then also in your personal lives that are going to require you to seize the opportunity. It might be an opportunity to step in a serving role. It might be an opportunity to step into a financial need. It might be an opportunity to just reach out and say, I'm here, I'm available. How can I help you? How can I encourage you? Who do you need me to be in your life? There might be an opportunity where we say, hey, this is what we're doing. In fact, there is, and I'll share here in just a second. But there's an opportunity where we say, this is what we need as a church. This is what we're doing as a church. And some of you who, who maybe like on your own would say, well, someone else, I'm sure will take care of it, need to be the first to raise your hand and say, yup, that's me. That's for me. And if someone else wants this opportunity, they're going to have to fight me for it. Because this is what God has called me into. In fact, in, in, in a few months, a little over six months, we're planning our first ever mission trip as a church for the second week of August. And we'll be partnering with Freedom Church and heading over to the UK and, and working with a couple of their locations as they ramp up and gear up for uh, their fall, um, you know, kind of campaigns and some of the things going on over there. And so I'm super stoked about it because for years we've talked about freedom. We've had friends come over from freedom. And, and now we actually get to work hand in hand, side by side. We've supported financially what they're doing. But now we get to actually put our hands to the plow and do something. Because listen, opportunity doesn't just present itself right here in this neighborhood. Opportunity presents itself globally. And if we as a church have the opportunity to step into something where it makes a difference on a global scale, then we should, if God is leading us into that, then we should respond in faith. And so in the coming months, or excuse me, the coming weeks, 
We'll be sharing more about that. But listen, if you're interested, if you're remotely interested, go ahead and write it on your card and I'll make sure I send you details. And I don't mean for this to be a pitch or whatever. I'll send you information about price, timelines, all that stuff. We'll talk about that elsewhere. But listen, it's an opportunity for our church. And so when opportunities like that arise, the best thing you can do is say, God, here I am. I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do, but the first step is to say, I'm available. And when we say I'm available, it's God's responsibility to say, yep, you're the one that's going to go. You're available. Okay, now you're able to go. But if we never raise our hands, if we never say, God, here's the opportunity, here am I, then we'll never be privileged to seize the opportunity. You see, 2020 is going to be an incredible year for our church. I believe it. I expect it. And in fact, I think it's going to be the best year we've ever had. I think it's going to be the most incredible, the most fruitful, the most um, abounding year. But here's what I also know, that in the midst of this abounding and, and, and kind of fruitful year, the enemy is going to discourage and keep us from these things. It might be a family circumstance. It might be a work situation. It might be a temptation to run to something else. But whatever Satan can do to keep you and discourage you from being involved or from stepping into these things is what he'll leverage to keep you from seeing 2020 with 2020 vision. And so my prayer and my heart met a church is that we step forward. See, the foundation has been laid for us. We've worked hard. We've toiled. We've built. We're not just building for the moment. We're building for generations to come. And now it's time for us to surface, come above ground, and let people know we're here and we're not going anywhere. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you in your faith and blesses you throughout the week. If you'd like to find out more about Meta Church, you can find us online at meta.church. And we hope to see you again next week on the podcast.